What up, good people of podcast land? You're not going to give him a year? Oh, is it? I thought it was too early for the year. Yeah, no, really? <laughs> you know, Do it. Because I'm extra as hell, but hey, we ready. I would say uh-huh. yes, we're ready. Yes. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the um, premiere episode of the Black Horror Podcast, Scary Crit. My name is Jared. I'm Lauren. And we're here to talk about um, a bunch of things, horror and black, black as hell. <laughs> black as hell. So um, that's that our is, vibe. Yeah, that is. It's a. It's a mood. It's a whole mood. So um, this, with this being our first episode, we do apologize if it's a little wonky. If like you hear like some, I don't know, vibrating undertones or any fuzziness. Um, we're, we're working those kinks out, but we could not hold off on this episode any longer. We're like bursting to um, get it to you guys and record it. So um, yeah, welcome. So Mel, why don't we tell the people how this podcast came about? Are we doing like a true origin story? Like to like four, four years ago, <laughs> the quad and Pratt or whatever we were having. <laughs> why not in the... Was that was that a fall semester or a spring semester? It was fall because it was cold. We were in Ethan's. That's where we met in Ethan's um, film class. His experimental yes. film thing. Um, oh no! What was it called? Something with games. Something games, right? Yes. Oh. Come on, you I'm know terrible. it. You know it. I have the pay- I have the syllabus in my in my desk right you now. You know I it. It was something games, but yes, we met there in um, a blustery, um, the Clinton Hill neighborhood of Brooklyn, where Pratt resides. We met there um, and quickly became friends and found out that we both share a love for horror. And fast forward to this year, Corona hit. um, Corona. We're all hitting we're all losing our minds trying to figure out what to do and glorious lauren here um comes up with the idea to why not do a podcast about something that we both love and so we thought we would do a black horror podcast um we call it scary crit because um where where the program i was in the mfa writing program creative writing program at pratt uh the core part of the program was um, our crit class where, um, you know, we bring um, a piece of our work and we present to the class and it gets critiqued or, you know, crit. And when I would say, um, cause I want to speak for myself right here. Um, growing up, I have, movies have been like one of my biggest passions, but growing up I have developed um, um a very specific I, I would say critical voice and I really believe like if you love something you should be able to critique it and critiques do not always have to be negative but they should do something to where like in the in my MFA program where it opens up the work into a way to think about it differently or a way that it can grow further than from where it already stands or just like kind of remix things a bit just to where we're not 
we're not we don't stay stagnant in the same place you learn from it and i feel horror being the genre that it is where it's very hit or miss and a lot of people or a lot of um stories are um it's like copies of one another it does the same thing like we've seen this before or if it's completely different um how does it stand on its own two legs we should be able to critique um, critique that and so like scary crit kind of like you know the combination of our love for horror but also our passion of you know wanting it to be better than it is and also uh just wanting to see like um what what could what else could come i'm sorry <laughs> what else could come from it where we could go, what it could be, and um, also like where it has currently brought us. Like say, um, like, cause this has been used as like the current Black Horror staple, like Get Out, uh, kind of what that did for not only um, horror as a whole, but the culture um, and right. like the, the meeting of those two. Um, and then I'll, like, what is this, what does Scary Crit mean to you? I think, I've, I've loved these movies for so long mm -hmm. and I've dedicated my, cause like, you know, at Pratt, that was what my thesis was about. My thesis was about black people and yes. blackness in horror films. Tell the people and about your thesis. Let them know. Be proud of I will, I will say, you know what? I'm so proud of it. And I never sent it to you. As I'm sitting here talking to you, I was supposed to email it to you like ages ago and I forgot. So I will send it to you today when we get off of this thing. But as, as you were talking about Get Out and what it's done for the culture and the resurgence and this whole idea of a black horror renaissance situation, right? Mm -hmm. I love it and I don't at the same time because there's such good material here from years and years and years ago, ago right? The 30s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, Bava in Italy. And I'm just like, there's there's so much more to what horror is than just what we've been getting recently, even though what we've been getting recently is so substantial. And I really think that us coming together and talking about these films can really open it up to, because imagine somebody who's just seen Get Out and that was their right. first like pinky toe into this, this swamp that is horror movies right and then they kind of try to pivot to something else that doesn't meet their expectations without realizing the treasure trove that there is because like italian horror is my favorite thing <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is my favorite thing in the world and i really just want to be able to like you said critique these films on a level that we can talk about anti-blackness in these movies. We can talk about mm -hmm. the lack of intersectionality and 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 the, the the need for a more feminist take on some of these films and still be able to appreciate them for what they are. Because like you said, just because this is misogynistic doesn't mean it's not good. It just is misogynistic and we need to be able to talk about that yeah. and move forward from it. So I really, I'm excited. I think this is going to be great because I feel like we're both so passionate about this subject anyway, that it'll be, it'll be fine. And then 
when we get to the point where we can start bringing some other guests in to share their beautiful <laughs> God willing. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be, it'll just keep going and going because you like, there's a, there's a psychology behind it, right? That I think that we both have a really good understanding of. There's an industry standard behind all of these remakes and, and, and regurgitations of things that we've seen. And yes, then there's, there's artistic takes on a remake, like It, Chapter 1 and 2, and this new Candyman that's coming out, and the spiral thing that's coming out with Chris Rock, who came out of left field for that, for me. But... I know, I think that there's a lot of opportunity here for really artful discussion that is still held in accessible language. And that's always been my goal, especially after I got to Pratt. Because being in an ivory tower, it's so easy for people of color to see where, where things become inaccessible and how things become inaccessible. And in some of the some of the classes that I was in, people were talking like they weren't people. You know what I mean? You ever met oh. somebody and they're and they they've read so many things and like they know all these SAT words and then that's how they talk. But that's not how people talk. Like you don't go home and talk like that. You don't <laughs> you don't go out and talk like that. And it's beautiful to know all of those things. But if you can't disseminate that information, then what is the point? Like I said, there's just so much, there's so much fear. There's so much in horror besides blood and guts and, 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 you know, CGI that I really think. It, and jump scares. Right. There's so much more. And I think we are going to have a lot of fun talking about it. Right. Cause we want we really want to dig into like the substance of horror movies or lack thereof. Um, but we can also, we can also, because I think I have made fake blood more than once. So we can have, we can have a whole other discussion about <laughs> oh. what it is and what it ain't. Because it's an art. There's an art <laughs> to making some blood. Okay. So yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to discount that. So um, in Scary Crit, um, we'll uh, be talking about for, um, but we will definitely be centering um, blackness because that is important to us as Black people, um, as creators, you know, creators, and then as people who love this genre, who, that we are not really represented in, like, we're, we're, what we're, what's been happening right now is we're in kind of like a Black horror renaissance, um, where it's like, we're definitely more on the come up in, I would say, um, a more, a more um, representational way than say we were like um, back in maybe like 80s, um, 70s horror um, or even 90s horror. It's got, things have gotten better, but we're still not, we, we still have so much more, I would say, space to take. But I think, I think there was a lot of 90s horror with Black people, but it was all in the hood. It was Leprechaun in the hood. It was Tales from the hood. You know what I mean? And I think that's the beautiful thing about now. I think in film as a whole, that that we are seeing more true versions of Black people that don't yes. just exist yes. in, in a ghetto, in a, in a project house or whatever, you know? Like there's, yeah. there's there's more 
characters happening in the suburbs or like in other parts of the city or right. in the country or wherever you know wherever people live because yeah or even in like different occupations because what we don't want to do is we don't want to be stagnant or one-dimensional with uh this representation or with the characterizations that are shown um of like black people in horror yes i will never i will never not be mad at that i will never not be mad we will talk about that in a future episode i promise um, I even say it for an episode in October. Um, but yeah, so not to shame um, like those previous characterizations um, of the hood or people in the hood, but it's just saying like there is so much more to uh, the Black collective as a whole than just that. And it seemed like for a while there, that's all we were getting. And so that's why um, movies and certain narratives are getting now, like what Lovecraft Country is doing is so important um and i can't wait to talk about that but so that's just a little um intro um to how we met and how the show came about um i would say just a like little fun factor story time or started for me um really young um i don't know i, I really loved scary movies growing up um but I got really, when it came to reading, because I was a bookworm, I still am. Um, I recently got back to my roots on that because uh, now I can finally read for like leisure again after, you know. Two years of I was academic. Say, well, seven straight years because I, um, I went from undergrad for four years to um, grad school for, why did I say seven years? So weird. Well, Am I counting? No, I'm not counting high school. I actually had a little time to read in high school, but um, six straight years of seven because I'm counting two years. But yeah, I was just like undergrad, and then I jumped straight from undergrad to graduate school. And all that academic reading like fizzled me out for leisurely, leisurely reading. And I recently got back into that. Um, but when I was little, like um, back in elementary school, um, when I got to third grade that's when we started reading chapter books and that I would say is the time I got really into goosebumps by R.L. Stein who I am so glad who is still with us today and still writing for um, the current generation of kids so they can grow up on four as well. Uh, the goosebumps books were I would say very imperative to me as um, being as into four as I am just the way they were written suspense, um, like scares, um, then being written in like first person uh, really influenced how um, I like to write in first person. Um, I was a kid who would check out a Guzman's book uh, from the school library first thing in the morning and then have it checked in by end of day because I would have just gobbled it up. And um, then horror movies like The Haunting from 1999 starring um, Taylor, Liam Neeson, Catherine Zeta-Jones. That was big on me because like the whole haunted house thing. I also remember watching like Bones with Snoop Dogg with the family. Um, Did you know that, um, oh my God, what is her name? Bianca Lawson was in that? No, what? Yes, she, uh, Bones' daughter, that was her. Oh shit! Yes, and she still looks the exact same. That's I don't know. Wild. 
it is wild. So yes, she was in that. Um, but yeah, I watched a whole bunch of Scream. Scream came out on my birthday in 1996. I cannot, I, I still cannot get over that because it's like that's fate. That's fate. Yeah. That's just like uh, still one of the. Um, I would say one of my favorite um, written horror movies, and like that that opening prologue, like th- that first 13 minutes. Uh, Wes Craven is it? Well, no, Kevin Williamson I think wrote it, but um, I would say him and Wes Craven who directed it. They're they're beasts in the industry. So of course, you know, I think Victor is saying how we both kind of grew up on um, horror, but like from white creatives. Um, it wasn't until a little later in my life um, where I would say I diversified my palette <laughs> um, when I, you know, got gained more. I don't know, consciousness about how things work that um, I started to really like um, not only hunger for, but actually seek out like black horror. And then as we've seen like with this um, black horror renaissance that's happening, it's it's gotten more prevalent. So Lamel, how was your horror upbringing, your horror start? <laughs> I was, I read a lot, but it really started with like TV. Yeah. I would watch Are You Afraid of the Dark? I'd watch the Goosebumps. Oh yeah, all the all the kids horror anthology series, uh, Nightmare Room. Yes, Goosebumps was a staple though. It scared the hell out of me, but I was like addicted. But so when I was a kid, I remember because I have an older brother, so we, me and my mom and him would always like, hang out. And once we went to the movies, and he wanted to see um, Dracula three thousand. Is that the one with um, oh, Lord. Um, Mackay Pfeiffer? Oh, Lord, let me see. Hold on, because that name alone is ringing a bell. It just sounds so dramatic. Oh, Lord, the poster alone is just so, like, <laughs> no, I don't see him on the cast list. Dracula 2000. Oh, 2000, okay. It came out in the year 2000. <laughs> of course it did. Um, but, yeah, it's Gerard Butler. And oh, see, there you go. Omar F. Jamar Butler, Omar F. And Jennifer Esposito. Yes, were, okay. Um, and Christopher Plummer. So yep. they wanted to go see this movie. And oh, see, uh, Wes Craven was an executive producer on that. See? But I was trying to be big and bad. And be like, yeah, we're going to watch this movie. It's fine. And I was so terrified <laughs> that my mom had to take me out and sneak me into go see Emperor's New Groove so that we could all sit there and save the movies, right? Oh, my so God. Well, no. <laughs> I was, like, determined to not be split. There's two movies that that's happening to. I watched that, and then like a couple of weeks later, my brother made me watch Leprechaun. And I oh, was shit. so scared. That was and another I was, one. That was another one. I was determined to like not be afraid of these movies anymore. We so had it on like, VHS. Yes, we, went, we rented it from Blockbuster. So <laughs> I, I would like rewind the tapes and watch them over and over and over again until I wasn't scared of the movies anymore. And then I got really into it because I took the, the tape back, the Leprechaun tape, and he was like, oh, you know, there's like, there's like other stuff. Like, oh, my God. Like I love it. Section. But I then it. It, the, the two movies that I remember liking when I watched them were Ghost Ship. Oh, Lord. That opening. Because the opening, because the opening is fire. And um, 13 Ghosts. Oh, so, that's another good one. That's another good one. I, I feel like, you know, when when you and come like, into it from, from like, because I think we, we have... Just two very different like starting lines. Yeah. Because 
right like focusing more on the writing and then focusing more on like the visuals it's a very yes. different yes right and that's perfect because that's just exactly how we are because i was in the mfa creative writing program and you were in the media studies film program well i kind of made it into a film program because that's what i wanted to do (laughs) (laughs) oh my god but yeah leprechaun was a big one um you said ghost ship because that beginning reminds me of the final destination films which i got into um, I would say mid 2000s I got into um, and the third one is my favorite I just love the third one um, the third Final Destination movie? yeah that's my favorite one from the whole series I just Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Wendy just like really sold it for me she did such a good job um, and then also for me like if it wasn't the horror genre directly it was like horror influences of other genres like, for example, because, um, like, we're from the Harry Potter generation. And with that, that's a fantasy, you know, that's a fantasy genre, a fantasy series. But there were four elements. Like, Them Dementors, the scariest shit, okay? The Dementors, <laughs> the, um, the Forbidden Forest as a whole. Yeah. Um, Aragog and all the spiders. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, specifically from, like, say, like, the first three. Um, like, the... Um, the whole thing with uh, Devil's Snare, uh, the chessboard. Like, I remember we snuck in the theater right on that scene. I don't remember what movie we watched before uh, we snuck in there because we had, we went to go see a whole nother movie, but then we like, ours ended and we like stuck into another theater because I don't do that anymore, but I used to when I was little. And I did too. We would sneak in all, we'd do like triple features on Saturday. <laughs> and it was right on the part where they got to the giant chessboard. And that was my first introduction to Harry Potter. And I was just like hooked. But um, yeah, horror has been like everywhere um, my whole life. And like, it's like, it started with books and TV around the same time. Um, and then it's gone into like um, video games. I love the survival horror genre. Um, yeah. I would love to. I would love to write in that genre, um, but it's just it's really fun to like video games like The Outlast, Until Dawn, because that's like a choose your own adventure one. I really need to get a PS4 so I can play um, The Evil Within. Oh, that looks so good. And then um, most recently, because uh, the sequel finally got a release date, uh, Little Nightmares. Um, I saw the ad for that. For all my gamers out there, if you want like a very enthralling atmospheric horror video game, Little Nightmares is available. Little Night Little Nightmares 2 will be released on February 11th, uh, due to uh, due to of course you know Corona, um, but also I love that studio, um, Tarsier Studios. Um, they really believe in quality. They're a small like. Um, I think um, Swedish studio and they don't have a lot of people on the team like they're 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 small but um, they they have such an attention to detail they they care about the world they created and like the lore and the characters and so they really take their time play it guys it it really reminds me of like it's like very Tim Burton-esque because it's like the innocence of children with like the monstrosity of horror and um, it, it reminds me of like Tim Burton or Coraline, which is my favorite animated film on this earth. I love Coraline. So yeah, horror is like everywhere for me, but I'm just glad I can 
like share my love of that um not only with like a friend but with I guess the world at this point because our whoever is listening so before we get into it right because it's because of what happened last night so the day before we recorded this podcast the news broke that Chadwick Boseman died at 43 of colon cancer and I think even though our focus is on horror films it's still it's still important to at least acknowledge what's happening, I guess, outside of just horror and talking about oh, like, no, of course. the spectrum of like black actors and black art. Yes, um, like in this in this podcast, I want to reiterate like um, it is horror is like the main objective, but since I said we stand our blackness, we will also most likely talk about um, things regarding that maybe outside the scope of horror. And Chadwick definitely fits into. Um, that realm because his death was very unexpected um I, like what is it broke like right before midnight I think or yeah. right at midnight and um it just I'm still for me personally I'm still it's still I'm still trying to process I'm still registering and it hits it hits me particularly hard because just like what Chadwick did to like the black community and black people, like what he did, um, it was bef- like what he did before Black Panther because he was playing like um, these black historical characters like to the bone. And so while that may have um, really spoke to the younger, uh, the older generation, the younger one uh, will, and really all ages will really hit when Black Panther came out um, in February 2018. I will never forget like the, opening weekend opening night alone but opening weekend or like just the lead up like the months the anticipation just like everybody um posting and tweeting about like what they're gonna wear and all the coming to america means just like i had never seen or experienced like this kind of excitement for something like this um because it was like black joy was at an all-time high and opening night like having the outfit all picked out and going with you um Kishé, um jensen um my friend nina um just going like with the, that big group of people to see this movie at um the court street united artist theater in brooklyn um was so fun that entire i don't think i was there for that yes you were no you weren't there Cause I went in. I was in Greensboro when I went. I didn't go over here. Cause Shane was there. I just, I just. I was yeah. I was home. I just associated you with that because like, it's like a package deal, you know. Yeah. I just felt like you were there in spirit. But when we went, um, and Cause and I actually saw it again in IMAX like a couple of days later. Um, it was just, it was an experience. Like everybody was dressed up. Somebody actually came in um the black panther costume if you were taking pictures of them um i think his name is kel elementary on on instagram um i got to find his at and he was dressed up as black panther he and he's a teacher for um elementary school students and so i bet that as him being a black educator i know that was probably really nice to see how it affected his kids, but I think he was also like a big fan of the comics. So 
seen him like all dressed up like the full outfit with the mask and everybody else was like dressed up and um like the theater was alive it was lit it was sold out of course uh i remember the eruption of laughter at the one or those show yeah um or like the like the i don't know just how um killmonger's like um um ocean line like really hit people yeah um and it's just it was such a it was such a moment and i feel like he i hope chadwick knew how loved he was by the community um i, I really, think he did because just like it was that whole running joke that he hated doing the Wakanda forever, Wakanda forever. <laughs> and so I think that he knew on some base level that he was appreciated by everybody, right? Because it was that was also the running joke before Black Panther that he was just gonna be every black famous black person ever. Every oh, yeah. It was just gonna be him, and we were gonna be okay with it. Because representation is um, so crucial, and it's so important. And he really was a superhero. Um, I'm so happy for all the um, black children who just like who saw themselves as in like him. yeah in him and also um, Lupita and uh, Danae just like see like everyone got to see like it like this possible you yeah. know um, and just like for him to like be our king you know and then I also just want to mention that cancer is something else it is definitely nothing to underestimate something you played with and i do not i want to be very clear i do not want to romanticize the fact that you know um he was working while sick i don't want to say like you know if he can do it why aren't you i don't want to say that at all what i do want to say is the fact that uh, it is a testament to how much he um loved his work yeah uh, it's a testament to how much he loved his family because i know he was trying to make sure that they were going to be okay when right. he left and then it was a testament to like um, his love for us, the fans, and like and black people as a whole, like that he continued doing like these big budget action drama, like black historical films, while even while like surgeries, chemotherapy, how stage three went from went to stage four, which is like you know the fatal stage, and the fact that we didn't find out about it until his actual passing. Is, but it's it's amazing because can, can we talk about the, the the testament to his his circle that didn't say yes. anything yes. and how beautiful it is that his family really had control over this narrative and that they were able to not let TMZ yes take this away to not yes. let a third party determine oh this is news you know what I mean because it's like people are people. And and death is a is a really heavy thing to everyone who who is is affected by it because we don't know when he died. He could have died early in the morning. He could have died three days ago. We don't know. This is true. This the is fact true. that it, the family had time to process and grieve a little bit and then come up with the statement together is just really phenomenal. And it's a really amazing thing that they were given or that they, they afforded themselves this opportunity and that it yes. wasn't, that it wasn't ripped from them yes. to be news. Throw the whole year away, but that, that is that. That is Because everybody us. should have that. Everybody, that everybody, whether you're famous or not, everybody should have that the community. dignity. Right. Yeah. So yes, rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman. May he rest so peacefully. And may people take this 
as a message to be kind to each other because um, you never know what someone else is going through. Um, and also to be kind on yourself because I saw a post the other day that said that, um, I mean, not the other day, but today um, that said that, you know, productivity should not be tied to self-worth. Uh, we should not have to work ourselves in the ground or, or, or feel like we are not worthy of respect or of help if we are not working or if we are not producing or if we are not um, like being like this, this, I don't know, this active cog in the wheel um, because, and I felt like that. I, and that is something I have struggled with, I would say all throughout grad school, beyond grad school, even now during this pandemic, um, cause you know, writing, um, I just, I have not really gone into like word I have not really typed anything up, but um, I feel like I, and I feel horrible, but I just don't like how so many factors, but capitalism especially frames it to where you need to be working to feel worthy or right. where you read stories about how um, black people specifically like literally work themselves to the, in into the ground. Like it's been ingrained, like you have to prove it to yourself that you are this person by working this hard when it's like right. and then having breaks or resting or saying i can't do this anymore it's frowned upon i don't right. like that so i really hope people can kind of take this as like a turning point to say be kind to each other but also kind to yourself and resting is okay because mental health is very important people should be allowed to be in tune with that and they shouldn't feel the need to have to, I don't know, put on this facade to be okay when they're not okay. Right. Um, so I just wanted to say that. And also another section of In Memoriam, um, kind of going back to horror, um, I read this week that um, someone who I think was very influential on the horror sort <laughs> um, itself, especially for children, <laughs> Joe Ruby. He died um, at age 87, and he was the co-creator of Scooby-Doo. Um, Scooby-Doo was a mystery series, um, but it also contained a lot of elements of horror, like ghosts, monsters, all that stuff, which were often, you know, people behind masks. But what I found fun about Scooby-Doo was, like, um, it did scare me. Like, um, oh, God. I'm like, think, I'm, we're in like glimpses of an episode where it was like, um, I don't know if it was a statue. Uh, there was definitely an episode of like a mummy with like the. In the OG Scooby-Doo? Yeah, 60s? like the, yes, that's, yeah, the OG Scooby-Doo, like, uh, like the mummy with like the, I think it was like a, a scarab thing or, or something. Um, but I just remember like Scooby-Doo being um, another fun animated series that um really got me into horror um so i just wanted to give um pay respects to joe ruby who um co-created um a fantastic animated series that has um been very enduring across time um, through i was about to say because like scooby-doo zombie island is probably one of the greatest listen, animated movies ever made listen, okay listen, from the plot listen. to the soundtrack to the music to the Girl. characters okay Girl. like and the, the franchise has done a really good job over the years of 
being able to tell new stories creatively and not lose what it is. Yeah, like it still adapts to the times, but it's its signature is still there. There's a new version of it called Mystery Incorporated that's on Netflix that is really good. I've been told this several times. I've watched a couple episodes, but I have not. This is years ago, though, like 2013, but I, I need to actually sit down and watch it because I know that because um, I love children's shows that aren't just children's shows like they extend like they transcend that 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 uh that title that byline and, and it's this whole like oh it, it, it spans over two seasons and it's this whole who done it thing behind Ooh. like the curse of a town and I people, love it and it, it's this and they're all and it's and it's still but it's still Scooby-Doo at its essence with monsters and fools and boogeymen I don't know. It's one of those really amazing things that hasn't gotten stale. And I appreciate that the the people who have come behind it that pick up the mantle of these characters right. try to update them without, with like, like they didn't Powerpuff Girls. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So yeah, Scooby-Doo is one of those, one of those um, animated greats. And so, um, Joe, I hope that um, you are also resting easily. Uh, you know what? As we talk about death, Angela Lansbury is like, you know, my 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 star. And she uh-huh. the day the day that she I hear on the news, I'm not gonna make it. Okay. She's gonna have to give me to give me like a week. <laughs> and I'm gonna go to Best Buy. We'll take a break. We'll take a, we'll... I need the, the DVD box set of Murder She Wrote is on my Christmas list anyway. Blue I will go and I, yes, I will go and I, it's a hundred dollars. I will go and I will buy it and I will be in in uh Cabot Cove, Maine for like a month. <laughs> I hear you. That's how I feel about R.L. Stein. Like it's gonna hit me when he leaves. But let's let's move on to um, lighter news, lighter things. Um, uh, we're gonna um, go into our section called the um, Negronomicon. I'll let that sit for a minute. The Negronomicon. I was about to say, I feel like you should explain this for the good people. Should I explain it or should I let it sit for a little bit? No, I'll explain it. So um, the Necronomicon um, is like the evil book. The, I think the, like the Book of the Dead from, it's in horror lore everywhere, but in Evil Dead specifically, it was used to, that's the book they read from. Um, and that is what caused all hell to break loose. We're just going to refer to this section as like, we're opening up the Necronomicon to see what is happening in the news today. Um, in the world today, like pop culture news, um, horror um, might be mentioned, but this is really just to like to kind of dip our hands into kind of what's going on that maybe influences that or that were things that we're passionate about. We have definitely called this the summer of no movies because let me tell you, uh, well, they have they have started to open back up, um, especially other. Listen, especially in other countries, but here, um, it's still a pretty slow start. Drive-ins, or uh, yeah, drive-in theaters are kind of having resurgence, which I think is um, so beautiful. But um, right but it's movie- interesting because it's like you know distribution, like because they're not really because it's all kind of like a pop-up thing. A lot yeah. of people are playing like because I know Tribeca has one out on the beach in Orchard Beach. Uh, Newark has one too. Newark Moonlight Cinemas, yeah. And but they're doing like 
Batman Begins and and oh yeah, they're not doing like so. You're right, they're not doing like current movies because the one who New York New Light Cinema last week, I think they just did a sold out showing of Queen and Slim. We don't have to talk about that. We're, we we've had enough of black trauma for today, I think. But um, I mean, personally, you know, as a creative, good movie like Lena Waithe uh, told her story, but you know, I'm I'm still feel just just a little bit betrayed. Just it's a bad movie. Just a queech. Well, we can the good bad, the bad bad. We can it's discuss bad. We can discuss this maybe another time, but um, <laughs> but I, I but it I I think the the interesting thing to me about about what's not happening with drive-ins is that you would think that like the indie theaters could maybe do a pop up and show more indie movies, oh, or yeah. that. Like because fall is coming, right? And Halloween is. is my jam. So why not try to? Because like all, because Brooklyn Horror Fest is is all virtual. I don't know if you saw. I do. Um, it's all virtual this year, and like Bushwick Film Festival is all virtual. Like basically everybody is just like we can't do a festival. But I was hoping that someone could be like, oh hey, let's do like this indie horror thing and bring your films and slap them up there and see what happens. I don't know. Because what made me think about it, in my old neighborhood when I was a kid, in my suburbs, because I'm from the suburbs, there was this family, and we would always do our trick-or-treat trick Halloween route so that that family would be the last stop. Because every year, they would convert their garage into a screen and play movies all night. I love it. So Aww. all of our parents knew that we would just be at their house on the lawn eating our candy, watching whatever movie they decided to go up. Like they do forget a Holland Harry Potter marathon one year. That's and you know, and and then when the kids left, they would play like the the the, the Halloween and, and Texas Chainsaw or whatever. Wait but a minute, was this what where was this again? Like where was it was, I was living in South Carolina. I must have been like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I was gonna say this couldn't happen in Colorado because by then it was gonna be snowing, nobody was gonna be in front of nobody's garage <laughs> outside. Um, My toes almost froze that one. Oh, no, year. it was like perfect fall weather, you know, just the breeze. But <laughs> you know, I was, I was, and it's a little bit difficult in the city, obviously, because like permits and things of that nature and whatever, oh, but. Yeah. You know, it was it that is that would be my hope because obviously Halloween is canceled for a number of reasons. Listen. But that would be one thing that I would be excited like to be I able to go out and do. And unfortunately Right. Which is not the thing. It's not. But no, I hear you. But yeah, the movie theater industry has taken a significant hit due to COVID nineteen. Um, okay, hold on. Let's be honest. That's what I'm asking. Let's be honest. Do you honestly believe that AMC and Regal and Starlight and all these people are going to be even be able to bounce back? Because everyone is like declaring bankruptcy left and right and right and left. I was just going to say this. I I want them to. I really want them to. But I, I also can't fathom how they are bankrupt. I, I just, I maybe that's because I'm not a business person. It, it most likely is because I'm not a business person. I don't know how, like, the numbers work exactly, but um, I I just I know this was an unprecedented. Event. I know that, but I I never thought that movie theaters would be like this critically hit. I thought like maybe they had something to fall back on. I never thought they were going to be one of the businesses who 
um, we're like, especially AMC being as big as it is, because uh, isn't it um, America's biggest like movie distributor? Probably. So for them to be declaring bankruptcy, but also they kind of they they were shooting themselves in the foot earlier this year because just because Charles did good on video on demand, oh, on demand, yeah. Universal. Yeah. From your screens, I'm and like, Universal said, "Baby, if you want to, <laughs> it's like I'm gonna be all right. I'm gonna be good. I'm fine. I don't need y'all. You need me." Um, and AMC was like, "You know what?" Mm. And then like when the um, when they came out with like the the um, the new health precautions or rules, and they under there to say masks um, are optional. optional. And people were in the outcry they got, like the immediate outcry. Even I was like, are you serious? I'm like, if masks are optional, then why am I coming? Girl, so why why am I coming? Because optional for who? Because, like, no tea, no shade, but a a large percentage of the staff of movie theaters are teenagers. So are y'all going to be required to wear masks or not? Because I don't know where you grab your little, I don't know. Well, you grab your little hands were before when you was when I asked you for a popcorn, <laughs> and now I gotta worry about if you was at an illegal party the night before because you're 16, right? right. Like, you wanna go party, go live your life, but don't threaten mine because right. you wanna hang out with your friends. Yeah, it's just so movie theaters, even now with them only back up, I'm just I'm not gonna go, I'm not going because I'm just I can't, I don't. For one, the movie experience is movie going experience is going to be stunted. And yeah, because if I can't have popcorn and a coke and some bunch of crunch, because I, I don't, don't feel know. I don't feel comfortable taking off my mask to eat. No. I don't. I don't. And I don't also I don't trust other people to also to just like follow the rules. Like because there there's people out here still not wearing masks. But then you have to think about it too, right? Because like I said before, with, with not knowing where these people were before, the, the the theater staff were before, what were they cleaning before? You know what I mean? Because to my recollection, you, you sweeping, wouldn't have to do them like that. And, and that's about it. But you know, you don't know anybody where they come and where they going. Because I, I don't know if you saw that video on Twitter. It was AMC. And it was this guy like power spraying the seats with some like industrial sanitizer machine thing. And it released this whole firestorm because he didn't have all like the proper masks to be uh, filtrating the stuff. Yeah. And then everybody was asking, well, how were you cleaning the seats before? Especially when like, it's not like Magic Johnson anymore where, where you could just sit in the seat. Most of these seats are like plush fake leather and they recline. Like you, your whole body, your whole body yeah. is in the, the circulation. Yeah, the recliner. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, if you weren't cleaning them before, that's yeah. still a whole other issue going forward. You know, and, and I'm just, and, and, and what is it? Cause what else could you do Buy that? Um, like the pre pop popcorn that you get from the fair and they make little snack packs, like the kids packs. And then that's what you um, buy. Negative. And then a friend of mine was like, oh, well, what about the dining, like the Alamo type places where you get to eat and like you just- The draft house. But- <laughs> I don't like them places anyway because I don't love somebody coming up to me in the middle of the movie. Oh, are you guys doing okay? Would you like to be so? Do you need another beer? I'm watching a movie. Please leave me alone. And <laughs> the only the only um, plus to that is that he's right. Like you can you could really limit the amount of tickets 
But then the, limiting the amount of tickets does not grant the theater a return on their investment. Exactly. You know what I mean? That's like the whole saying. point is to sell yes. out the theater. Yes. So it's just, I, I don't know if, I don't, I really don't know if they'll be able to bounce back. And then also, um, in the next page, uh, in the Negadon Con today, I wanted to talk about how uh, the movie industry had reacted um, with the shutdowns and quarantine by um, shuffling their release schedules. Like how um, the, like the big ones, like Fast 9 and uh, James Bond were bumped all the way next year. Although I'm reading that James Bond was actually um, moved up to November, which I still think is too We're soon. We're not going. It, that, but also it's like, especially because uh, we're about to get to it, but with these big releases for these big studios, if y'all want a return of investment, or at least you want like some attempt at one, the best thing would be to do to like sit on it and wait. So why I thought they were crazy at first back in March, now that we have progressed to August and we see what's going on, they actually um, commend and I see um, the like the um, responsibility of studios of pushing those movies to next summer. Like Jungle Cruise was supposed to come out, I think, last month. That was moved to next year. Um, I was excited to see Antlers and A Quiet Place Part Two next spring. Now, like all, um, but you know what, Mulan, Mulan is going to be a case study because ooh, ooh, let's talk it, about it. Because as everybody knows, Mulan is going to premiere on Disney Plus. You have to pay the thirty dollars fee. This, I don't know. This coming Friday, people. September oh, is it 4th. this Friday? September fourth. It's coming. It's almost. Well, here. I don't know if 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 um because you know everybody every streaming service has multiple profiles now and you can do whatever. I don't know how Disney. But you under you gonna get somebody's password? We I got one. <laughs> okay, but. I don't know if Disney's gonna try to stop people from just from like a family from buying one and then just sharing the password or how they're gonna do that or whatever. But if Mulan makes money, if enough people pay that thirty dollars, I would not be surprised if if some other people try to jump on this train. But then my only my only question is because Disney is very different, because Disney owns the streaming service that they're releasing their movie on, right? Mm, yes. I don't know if you could do the same thing for Amazon Prime. You know what I mean? I don't know how that would work, but I'm sure that there are there's someone sitting in an executive office trying to figure it out. Because my thing is, like, if this thing, like, goes well for Disney, because I thought it was just at first, but then when you take all things into consideration. It's like, okay, this this is this is a move. This could work, but if like if if this works, Disney is going um, straight up derail what Nolan is trying to do, yes, or thought he could do with Tenet. And with Tenet, that was I would say this summer that was the movie that just kept like doing the Cupid shuffle up and down the release date schedule. Like, is it going to release? Is, is it, it not? not? Is it next year? Is it this year? What are we going to do? And I feel like, is I next feel, year. and I understand Nolan being excited about his work and wanting the world to see it, but it got to a point where I thought, I, it just felt like he was trying to shove the movie down our throats. And it's like, listen, your movie is not Jesus. It is not going to part the Red Sea that is Corona to make way 
for the people to get into the seats in the movie theater and sit down, sell out the show, and but enjoy what I don't it. understand either, what I don't understand either is even if it did, right? Let's say Tenet of all movies was the movie that drove hundreds of thousands of people to theaters across the nation. Why would you want your film associated with in the news two weeks later? Movie theaters have experienced a right have, have caused Surge. a rising number cases. You know what I mean? Like for, for tenant, for like not to not to not to be an ass, right? But for tenant, no. I hear you. But and also it's like um with the studio and the budget, like is this really going to recuperate that or um, even make a profit in this time of Corona, in the pandemic? No. Because, <laughs> the answer um, is no. Can I get a no for $500? Because, <laughs> no. Because, it, it, listen, it damn sure ain't going to happen here in the States with the, with the state and the movie theaters but here. Didn't you tell me or I read somewhere that, 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 that overseas somebody had opened up a movie and only four people had bought tickets to go see it? Oh, I sent that to you. I don't know what it was for, but I sent it to you. They said, like, <laughs> we, yeah, they went. Only four people. Four people. It, it was, I don't, it was not for Tenet, though, but it was, it was four people oh. seeing some movie. But it's just like, it's, it's just, again, to show you, like, where the, the movie going industry or movie theater industry is right now with Tenet. Um, Nobody has extra money. That's what I'm saying. Going to the oh, movies and going to the movies is to an extent a luxury experience. It is extracurricular oh activity. Oh God, and if I am sitting here worried about my job, struggling because yes. the government took away this extra five hundred dollars a week. Yes. And, and 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 I can't put aside fifty dollars for two people to go to the movies. I can't because I gotta worry about Right, and I gotta worry about buying groceries and paying my lights and doing especially, a whole bunch of other things. Especially for blockbuster releases, yeah. Like in, in the city in New York, um, like one one ticket, even um, well, if you go to IMAX, a ticket is like what twenty five, twenty seven, because yes. you know that service fee. Um, and if you go to like the regular auditorium, uh, what seventeen, eighteen, it could be higher than that. Um, but my thing is, I want to go back to what you said about movie going being a luxury. I didn't really, uh, just like, maybe subconsciously that's what it was to me, but having, hearing you verbally say it, yes, because I would actually use movies as like something to look forward to, something to treat myself to. Like, I I'm, I go to movies all the time, or I used to go to movies all the time, um, usually by myself, and I love it. It was like my, it's my, it was, it's my favorite pastime, and I would get dressed up, you know, I would wear like, you know, nice clothes put on the heels sometimes you know um go straight from work you know if it was that pressing like if i really need to see this um and i would just treat myself you know um get you know some snacks you know like all the time and not having that anymore is very saddening but it also you know it makes you realize like you're right like that was a luxury you do use it as something like like a bonus thing to do it's not a requirement but now that it's gone, you do credit back. But also, can you even in this current state, like, do you have the means to go? And then with it not even being safe, it's not, it's not worth it. You know? Right. So I'm I'm just I I we have no idea what the movie industry is going to look like or being to look like a year from now. 
but I really hope they improve. But I personally do not feel comfortable getting back into an auditorium I'm here to see something until I know for sure, like, I don't have to wear a mask and I will be okay. But I think too, that maybe something Christopher Nolan is forgetting is that, like, when we went to go see it, we were excited and we planned for it. When we went to go see Halloween, we were excited yes. and we planned for it and we picked the movie and we did all the, and we picked the theater and we did all these other things. So the tickets, reserved seating. And I feel like, for me at least, Tenet isn't a movie that I was planning on seeing I in was. that way. Tenet for me was a movie like if if I was if we were if I was bored one Saturday and I was like, oh maybe I can go to the movies and it was playing, I would go. I wasn't like, oh, I need to go see Tenet. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't really high up on my movie list. And for, I feel like the way that Christopher Nolan is operating in in being so adamant on this needs to be in the theater is because he believes <laughs> that it was really high up on a lot of people's list. And all this stuff that we had just talked about is putting it less and less down on top of you don't know where people were in this this like opinion of what movie am I about to go see. Exactly. And the thing with Tenet though, with Tenet, because it comes from Christopher Nolan, his name alone, like Christopher Nolan, or just Nolan, like knowing it is a Christopher Nolan film, that already comes with like this this precedence before it. So um, with Tenet, I wanted to see it based off of that because I know Nolan to like give us a show because he really cares about filmmaking. Like contrary to um, like what I said about him thinking his movie is Jesus, I do respect his filmmaking. I do respect his craft. I admire it. Um, and with Tenet, it looked because um, I was I've seen um, earlier this year. I was able to see like some films in IMAX, and when you do that. You get to see like um, a uh, like a six minute um, prologue to Tenet in IMAX, and yeah. you don't you have no idea what the hell is going on, but you were like engrossed. It like it grabs you, and that's what Nolan does. It's like a filmmaker. I want to see that based on that off that alone, and it it wasn't high on my list, but it was there to where it was just like I was going. I actually planned like I was going to pick a day, probably opening night, because I love that experience. It was definitely going to be in IMAX. And I was going to go because also John David Washington, I want to support. I love him. Um, and it just looked like a very like mind bending, mind boggling me. Like what it like, I wanted that question answered of like, what is going on? What is he going to do? What is this about? Because um, even like the first trailer that came out, same thing, like what is going on? But you want to see it. The first trailer was my favorite. The second one I didn't like. That's when it went down on my list. Because it probably revealed too much, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so that's the only thing, like the mystery of it. So I would it like the thing is two and a half hours, Jared. Girl, we've sat in through we've sat through longer movies. Like, I know, but I was not prepared. I was not prepared for two. <laughs> but I'm like, if you but like with Nolan, I would do it because I know like he's going like he's gonna give it to us, you know? Like um I saw Dunkirk and IMAX loudest movie I have ever seen in my life. I just want everybody to do that. Dunkirk and IMAX. I read like articles quoting people who actually um, were in like the that fight Dunkirk was based on and they even said it wasn't that loud on the beach. Oh wow. Oh wow. Yes. 
So I'm like, girl, okay. But Dunkirk was done. Uh, of course, the Dark Knight trilogy. Chuck, like Nolan, he, I'm not, like, I'm going to give him his stars. I'm going to give him his props. Like, yes. And, but at the same time, I'm just like, you need to, like, take a step back and really, like, read the room. Read the room, girl. Like, I just don't think this is, <laughs> you know, I just don't think this is the time. But it's been released. Like, Tom Cruise got on Twitter released a video where I think he was in London. He definitely was not here in the States. And he went to a movie theater, Mask On, to see it. There are other people in the theater. Um, like, um, at the end of it, he said he really enjoyed it. So, like, people are seeing this movie. other thing that bothered me. Because, like, why is John David Washington's name protagonist? Oh, Did we need it? His name is protagonist. His name is what? That's what I'm saying. Like, did we need that meta moment? No. Oh shit! Don't, don't, Mel, don't do that. Don't go there. We just started. Damn it! But then, like, also Michael Caine is in it, and I was like, oh, I love Michael Caine. And then protagonist. So yeah, it's just. We, I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to like, I'll see it, but I'm not, I'm gonna have to wait till home release because I, I can't make that jump to there. But yeah, I just, yeah, we're, I'm, I'm nervous about where things are going, but um, I just hope they improve as time goes on. And now on uh, the next page of the Negrodalcon, I wanted to discuss um, how. Um, Black horror, especially this year, uh, is definitely on the rise. Uh, yeah, Lovecraft Country premiered about two weeks ago, um, and it is, it is, oh God, it's been so great. It is such a joy to watch. Um, it's based off the novel by Matt Ruff, um, that, by the same name, and Misha Green, having adapted the um, book to television, has taken um, a number of creative freedoms which I think like really elevate the, uh, the material. And it's just been, um, it's been so much fun to watch. Like uh, it is scary. Oh my God, it is scary. Like uh, episode one, like the, the last act was crazy because that was not in the book. Like we got glimpses of the monster in the book. Like it was described as like um, a shadow or like in the distance, in the distance, like we, it was never described. We never got to actually like see it, um, and it didn't like specifically attack the characters. But seeing like how Misha was like, okay, we're gonna like go ham on this was amazing, and um, like the metaphors that are being used. So I, I finally watched the second episode. Yes, let's talk. And at the, in the middle of the second episode where he's talking to the little white girl and the, the uncle and the friend and Journey can't remember anything that's happening. Mm -hmm. And then the main character and the white girl are talking about, you know, the monsters and why can't they remember it or sort of stuff. And she talks about the spell and how it's for anybody who survives so that they don't remember their watchdogs. Now can we also talk about that? Now can we talk about the metaphor for institutional racism and how these things perpetuate themselves? Because mm -hmm. the race, the, the the outward, we're racist everyday people 
are people you have to worry about, but they're not the people you have to worry about. The people that you have to worry about are those people in the estate that control everything else. And isn't that amazing that there was a spell that affected these Black people so that they didn't remember what had happened to them while they were in the presence of these seemingly quote-unquote non-racist white people. Guys, like, we treat you well, we feed you, we clothe you, we give you every book you could ever want to read, we let you roam free. Why would you have a problem with us? And I was just like, oh. Yeah, that was another creative freedom of Misha's because that was not in the book at all. Uh, They all three remembered what happened um, that night in the woods in the book. And so when I saw that, I'm like, what is going on? But then I saw what they were getting at. And I love that you were, you just broke it down like that for everyone, because it's, it's so deep. Like the, like the nuances that are in this show. Oh God. And all we're, over the place. We're only, and then the thing, the thing that, that, that kept amazing me, right. It was the uncle. Because I was like, isn't that amazing uncle that a George. black man can read? Isn't mm-hmm. that amazing? that a Black man has read so much he can quote the books. Isn't it amazing that his brother could also read and remember the story, like, I don't know, <laughs> the Count of Monte Cristo and dug himself from a prison? He was talking oh about God. Like, it's, it's just because I have been near people or in the presence of people who have said things like, Oh my God! What, like, like white people be like, "Oh my God, you're so educated! Isn't that amazing?" Ooh. And I'm just like, "What?" And it's 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 the little things like this in in things that I watch that make me so happy mm-hmm. because I'm like, "Yes, this man can read. Reading is a hobby. Lots of people can read. Lots of people like to read." And also, can we talk about the fact that? The man who wrote The Count of Monte Cristo was a black friend. Can you talk about it? I love it. I love yes. it. <laughs> I just, so yeah, this show has done so much already in just the span of two episodes. Episode three, which premieres um, this Sunday, which is tomorrow at the time of this recording, is going to be the episode that um, encompasses my favorite part of the book. And the basically, Haunted House stuff? Yes, Letitia in a haunted house i just that's all i'm gonna say um if if you guys have all watched it by the time this recording um i hope that it was just incredible like i'm i i I know it will be it just because from the last week's preview alone i just know it's going to be incredible but um misha green and jordan pill because i think he's um executive producing under his um monkey paw um i just want to thank them both for uh like bringing this to us. And um, as Mel said in a previous conversation about this, um, that they filmed it before Corona, significantly before Corona. So we could get it in the time of Corona. Um, and so it's just something we don't have to wait for. And speaking of things we're gonna have to wait for, um, Nia DaCosta's Candyman was due for release in October. Um, I think it's been moved off that schedule. And I'm very sad about that because I was ready to be in a black ass theater watching this black ass horror film. But I was so excited. I was so excited 
when I figured out what the plot was. Yes. And then the fact that this film is directed by a black woman with that plot. I was like, ooh, give it to me, girl. Give me the stuff. Don't hold back. (laughs) And then Tony Todd like signed off on it. He's like, and I was like, oh, Tony. A black whore icon. But and then I'm just, I'm just, I was that is probably the movie I was most excited for. Yes. Because I mean I mean it was gonna be during in like October, like Halloween season, uh Black Horror Film. I think too though that when we talk about as as a whole community, right? When we talk about horror monsters, we always talk about um Freddie and Jason and Michael and we always forget as a whole Candyman, right? He is just as scary as the rest of us. I was gonna say maybe it's not that we forgot. Maybe we just don't talk about him because actually talking about him, well, you know, he gonna oh, show yeah. up. You know, it's like keep 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 my name out your mouth. You know, <laughs> so it's like. But I, cause I will I will never get the first time I watched the OG and he opened up his coat and he oh, no. exposed ribs and the beads everywhere. I freaked out. I want to say that. I saw the sequel first before I saw the first one. Did you? How did I that? did. It still scared me. It still oh. scared me. Um, and it was very interesting uh, because, you know, it was like, um, I don't know, just the, the, the imagery really stuck with me. Mm. Um, and like the whole, like, why he was killed, how he was killed, like the viciousness right. and... Yeah, and like the the whole thing about um, blood buys. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's yes. that's why I was so excited for this one because it's kind of picking that back up. The idea of like a bloodline and like a, a forced bloodline and what it means and what it meant to be kidnapped. Because like he had homeboy for like months, months, sisters, <laughs> <laughs> and you know like the the inherent trauma of that whole experience. Now that he's an adult. And the other thing that I was really excited about, because the first movie, you know, we're moving through this community space as a white woman doing archival research. So she's not looking at it as a living, breathing community. With exactly. People. She's looking right. at it as like, like an archaeological, how do you say this word? Oh, God. See? A, a dig site. She's looking at it like a dig site, like she's an archaeologist. Yes. And that she's just searching for things that she finds useful, right? And so like, what would it mean to move through this space as a person who sees it as a community and as a person was, who grew up in that community? You know what I mean? And was directly like, affected by it because Yaya, oh, that is a black king right there, everyone. I love that man. And just, oh, Jesus. The, the fact that he's playing the, the son of the woman from the first movie is just like and like it's a continuing like in that storyline i'm just i'm very excited to see what they have done um and i just i was looking forward to it i mean i'm still i'm still gonna watch whenever it comes out um even like it's it's probably gonna be a home release but i mean i will tune in because i want to support and i want to see this movie but i do again it just it it's just it it makes me sad that we just can't experience it in like the, that movie theater way. 
But that's um, one thing that I believe that should just come out next year. If next I year is wait. solid, I, I would wait. wait. That's what I'm saying. I would wait for that. I would wait and it would be time to buy more Candyman merch that I could go to the theater decked out. And right. like, it would be all right. Just, like, just would, do it next October. <laughs> right. I'll wait. Like, uh, we can get, we'll get that. And then, um, what, Halloween kills in the same month. And, and, and that would be amazing for my life. Cause, yeah, because that was another movie that was uh, moved. Because we were going to get that one this October that was moved. But you know what? Like I, I can wait. I can wait. Another movie that um, is is coming out uh, next month, um, in the middle of next month, that uh, was set to come out. I think in the springtime. Um, Antebellum, starring. I, a, I, I know. I know. I know. I just want to say that. Um, even though it, I don't think it's been confirmed, but it really seems like it's uh, inspired by or based on uh, Kindred by um, Octavia Butler. Um, and it's oh, like- Oh, that actually changes things. Cause like, um, that's what it, cause I was going over uh, this with um, my friend, Sasha Banks, love you, Sasha, um, a little bit ago about how the two, the, the plots are too similar. Like they're just, you know, like uh, she gets kidnapped and, and um, thrown into like uh, I think back in time to like you know during slavery and is supposed to um, what change it? It's like underground, you know, like by Misha, but it's with like that time travel narrative. Um, and so I want to see it because again, I love Janelle Monae. I want to support. It does look like a good movie, but I hear you in the fact that I'm I'm also over like the whole black trauma films when it comes to like um, violence and slavery and um, because and I think okay, Watchmen, right, right. Watchmen well, is gold for a number of reasons, but also because it lays out trauma in a way that we can see it and appreciate it, but that it's not all that we are watching. You know what I mean? And so, it, so many different cylinders it was firing on, so many. And so when we are now put back in a situation that revolves, lives, breathes, and dies around slavery, I'm just kind of inherently over it. I understand it more if it was like loosely based or based off of the Octavia Butler thing. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But then also, is now the time for that? Is now the time for this narrative when we are, for the first time in a long time, being presented with all of these other narratives that step outside of that right. in a really powerful way right. that doesn't negate any of those things? So because just like when 12 Years a Slave won the Oscar, I'm like, oh, Jesus, here we go. Because now that... It's always such uh, like mixed feelings. It's like yes, but no, because is it? It's like is this all y'all see us as? Is this all we can do? But and that, and that's that's what I'm saying because it's just like you know the and it, it goes into all the remakes and stuff of horror films, right? Because it's that oh, inherent, it's that inherent bias by the studios. It's like oh well, there's like eight generations of people who know who Michael Myers is. Of course, we'll make another one. Why not? There's Three generations of people who know who Jigsaw is, of course, will make another make another Jigsaw movie. Why not? It's been proven over the past thirty years that people will buy tickets to go and see this. 
and you don't have to teach an audience anything new, right? Like everybody knew who Chucky was before the remake came out when we went to go see it. Everybody knows who these people are. And it's the same thing on this other side of this conversation when we talk about slavery films, because everybody knows what's gonna happen. That's why I know what he did. I know what he did. I know what he did. The Birth of a Nation was a really good film. <laughs> it doesn't negate that he is a terrible person. Okay, whatever. I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. The, the, the film is good. Because for the first time, there was a slavery film. There was a slavery film that didn't end in, like, with the goal of a, escape or with this, like, white savior character trying to come in and save everybody. Right. Birth of a Nation was like, no, we, we got it. Bang, 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 bang. And everybody died, right? And so it's just, I don't know what else could happen in this instance that we haven't already been primed for in some way, shape, or fashion. And I'm kind of over it. I hear you. If you get, you get, um, you get fatigued, you really do. So, um, I just like how Black Horror lately, um, has really been branching out and just showing, like, um, we are and can be so much more than, um, like, the limited avenues we have been, um, forced into, forced into and confined into. Um, but that closes the Necronomicon for today. Uh, now we want to get into our main section of Scary Crit. And, um, for today's episode to kind of, <laughs> kind of commemorate, uh, what's happening, uh, tomorrow night, uh, with the, um, or wait, is it happening Monday night? Um, with the Brandy versus Monica versus you watching who you got? <laughs> I'm Team Brandy, girl. I'm Team Brandy. I love me some Brandy. I do. I, I know more Brandy songs than more Monica songs, but I think it's just because of my age. <laughs> so um, that is that's happening. Um, I think when is that happening? I just want to get the, yep. That's happening Monday. August 31st, um, but kind of to commemorate that, but also because um, I just, I loved her role in this movie. Um, we want to talk about, um, I still know what you did last summer, um, starring Brandy, uh, is it Mekai? Mekai Pfeiffer, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Freddie Prince Jr. Um, can we talk about, can we talk about Freddie Prince Jr. for five seconds? He is, I wanted to yeah. He is a gem. I wanted I to mention him. him. I wanted to mention him because um, I saw a picture of um, him and Sarah Michelle Gellar the other day. And, like, they're, like... They're adorable. They're adorable. And I, I just really, like... Because I, I don't like to put um, celebrities, especially celebrity couples, on pedestals. And they I'm, are I'm, on and, one. They, and, are oh. on, they are on one. Okay? The I, biggest, brightest pedestal. And it's ever been made, and I they swear upon it. I just <laughs> wanted to say that uh, not only do I find them adorable, I just really, um, it's just really nice that they are together after all these years, and the fact that, like, you never hear shit about them. Um, they're just aging, minding their own white-ass business. Um, 
and it. and just and they look yeah that, that picture they look so happy together like um like they're like you can definitely tell like Freddie's older but he looks happy they both look happy and I just I'm I'm happy for them that they're happy they're a cute couple they met um through because they've been they because they met through um like I, I know what she did last summer and they co-starred again on Scooby Doo in O two, um, which I think I know like critics hated it. I loved both of them, uh, Scooby Doo and Scooby Doo Two Monsters Unleashed. Um, yeah, I like them. Especially watch them now, older, especially the first one, because you can clearly see. Um, originally they were supposed to be like um, for adults, like all like the marijuana humor. Yep. And like the suggestive humor, but. Um, yeah, they're just, I, yeah, Freddie Prinze Jr. Um, and Sarah Lucas Shell Geller, I'm just, I'm really happy that they're, they're happy and doing well, and they just, they mind their own, you know, and they're unproblematic, so, um, good for them, but, uh, yeah, uh, Jack Black was also in that movie, I do want to talk about, I do want to critique his character a lot, um, but, so, picture it, it's 1998, um, fall of 1998, um, by this time, Brandy has had, um, Moesha, she's had her debut album, she's, um, I think Never Say Never just came out, or was about to, at the time of, um, I still know what she did last summer's release, uh, she had, I think this is around the same time where she had her own Barbie doll, Brandy was Black Girl Magic before it was, like it's her you know and yeah. so this is like and at this time brandy was i think um 18 maybe 17 at the time of filming when it came out because i know she did last summer was like an all-white cast like all like um sarah jennifer freddie and um he was in cruel intentions as well with sarah um, ryan phillip yeah ryan phillipy or is it phillipy i don't know I always, I don't know. know. <laughs> I say Philippi. Oh, God. We just gonna say Ryan. So Ryan was also in there. But... Um, Johnny Galecki was in there, too. The guy what? from Big Bang. Yeah, he was in there. Sarah and Ryan's characters died in the first one. And so in the sequel, they just had to, I guess, have some more characters to round the cast out. Um, and that's where Brandy and um, her boyfriend, uh, played by uh, Makai, came in. And Brandy was not only like a smart choice to have in the movie she was also like the right one because i feel like her playing carla like really i don't know just elevated movie because we have uh and this is like like at like the peak of like 90s horror because we're 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 about to hit, we're about to hit the 2000s uh we're at the end of like the year 1998 and this movie comes out, and of course it's aimed at, you know, college-aged people, because in the movie, uh, Julie and uh, her friends are, they win, like, a radio contest to go to, like, the Bahamas, um, 4th of July weekend, which I just realized that means they were taking summer classes. Yes. Kudos to them, because girl, no. Um, <laughs> so, um, and Carla was just, like, Carla was very, like, the opposite of julie because julie was like the very reticent um traumatized 
um, afraid protagonist. And Carla was like um, the spunky, smart, um, I don't want to say happy-go-lucky, but like... But here's my problem with the casting, right? Uh-huh. Because Black women historically have been put in supportive roles. Exactly. Let's, yes, so let's talk about it. It's interesting. It was always, as I got older, it was always interesting to me to watch this Black woman be put in a position to be constantly supportive of her white friends, right? And I get it. Homegirl had all this trauma and she had been through all these things and she murdered a guy and then the guy wasn't dead and he came back and murdered her friends and whatever. And it's like, and it's like it, it's not her problem, but she gets immediately roped into it. like violently. By being friends with her, right. And so I, I always wonder if Carla had been cast as Karen instead of Carla, Ooh. would her friendship with the relationship be the same? Because uh-huh. Sarah Michelle Gellar's character in the first movie was not that supportive counterpart. She was no. not sitting there no holding her hand and telling her it was going to be all right. She said, you need to put the big girl panties on and deal with it and get over it. And so I'm wondering if, if on some level, the casting on that situation was subconscious in that way, because that's mm-hmm. what they expect from a Black woman to be nurturing, to be motherly in all oh. of ways, especially we, when someone is we, dealing with a trauma. Do we want to go there and like say, was it invoking the, oh, this might be the, the mammy stereotype? Yes. Oh God, okay. I just, I was nervous. I didn't want to say it, but because um, like, I really, I really genuinely do see Carla as um, a positive character and there's some positive representation there, but I also see her as like a flawed representation because again, with her being um, with her being um, put into this supportive role as a black woman um, paired up with, you know, the white woman protagonist, white woman star, um, it comes with its own like baggage, its own like stereotypes. Um, I think Carla was written as a smart character, though, despite that, because even though she was always there for Julie, um, I just felt like she was really enduring a lot. And it wasn't just like, you know, being um, like um, chased by a man with a hook on his um, for a hand, but it was also like, if we want to talk about um, like, no, I'm not going to say gendered violence. It wasn't violence, but it was like very like rewatching it. I did not like Mackay's character at all. I did not like him. I really didn't. Why? Oh, I thought you said what? Why? He was like the, he was, he, he came off as very one note to me because the whole trip, he was just focused on sex. And he gaslit the fuck out of Julie, like the entire hell out of her. Um, like not only believed her, but like made light of it or clowned her for it. Like called her crazy in her trauma. And then like was really trying to 
with him and Carla, it was like he just wanted one thing. He wasn't really caring about anything else outside of that. He was just like watching it again. His character was just a very like. Negative. But I think here's the other issue, right? Because he very much reminded me of Skeet Ulrich's character from Scream. Scream. Because that's all he wanted from Sydney, right? Why can't you get it together? We boyfriend and girlfriend. We used to be hot and heavy, and then your mother got killed, and all of a sudden you don't want to touch my penis anymore. What's going on, right? Most of their conversation revolved around sex or why we're not having sex or, or whatever. And I think the 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 thing here again is because he is black, they didn't know what else to do. Mm. Right? Because Keith's character is still very he, I wouldn't. I wouldn't describe him as one note. I would describe him very much as like a whole person because he. Yeah, he was because you got to see like why he was like uh, when it was revealed that he was the killer in Scream. Um, he talked about how his mom leaving and like having that affair. Right, he did all that to his family. So, but yeah. even before then, like when he was when he was off with Matthew Lillard and they were having their back and forth conversations and he they were in the group settings and having those conversations in even in a group and even with Sydney, they give they gave him like some character traits that made him seem interesting. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately with Makai Piper as Terrell, I don't think that they knew how to write a black Ooh. character. You know what I and mean? Yeah, and that's probably what it was. That's probably what it was because he just came off as so like as a child I probably wouldn't have noticed or picked it up, but as an adult, um, especially um, having, like, I am really into um, analyzing and studying, like, masculinity, like, Black masculinity, and seeing, like, how that was portrayed, and him being, like, this very, like, this virile, uh, oh, God, virile, virile man, a very uh, black man who um, was also like, can we talk about kind of like aggressive, belligerent, um, like all these, like there were a bunch of like negatives to his portrayal and character that I did not like. And I felt like the stereotypical of, of like black men in Hollywood films of that era. Is that? Um, it was like, they took that and they put it in a horror movie. Like we've seen, can we can we not especially paired with carla who is like the enduring black woman it's like yeah so that upset me and then another thing that i wanted to talk about in critique was i think it was an uncredited role to jack black like he was really he was like the jar jar beast character um to me of the whole movie and um he played this character um called Titus. He was uncredited. He was uncredited. Uh he played this character called Titus who I think was like um I think he was like a cleanup guy on the island, but he was a white guy with dreads who smoked a lot of marijuana and the moment he laid eyes on the group, and I think it was especially after he saw Carla and Mackay, he immediately like ran over to them and started trying to sell them weed. What is that say? Like, and they were they were really like brushing him off, and it was just like he. Like, but and then also in my personal experience, <laughs> to 
sure what that's 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 the white people. Because <laughs> they're all searching for drugs from some local on an island. Like the rest of us have either brought our own or don't deal with it. <laughs> Ooh. Well, um, and so that just that just rubbed me the wrong way. And just like his his characterization of like with the whole thing with him having like dreads and being like this over the top, like it just it did not I was just like, what are y'all trying to do here? And then when you pair that with the fact that there was another character um, by the name of um, uh, Bill Collins played him. Um, his name was in the movie. His name was Estes. Um, he played like the little Estes in that a black man. <laughs> right. He played, he played like the um, the masculine Negro stereotype, being like the uh, the old Jamaican man who was doing like um voodoo on the on the kids to to protect him of course to protect him but um the fact that you know it was put into like this negative stereotypical light rubbed me the wrong way like how the magical negro stereotype was used again for this um Estes ended up dying um yeah he got stabbed he got stabbed, and then the thing that stabbed him killed that other girl. The yeah, it killed that. the bartender. It killed. Yep. He, I, think, I think it was a harpoon, and then he landed on top of the bartender, and then um, Ben shoved it through her, through him, um, and then Mackay died in like the kitchen area um, after telling you know everybody he was horny and hungry. That's, uh, yep, and it's just like, and he died like right after. So, um, like a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the black characters in that movie, or like characters uh, inspired, and I use air quotes, but inspired by blackness, whatever. Um, that's the, that's the thing, right? There's, there's, there's two ways to look at, at, at things that are representative of black people. It's either black cinema or black in cinema right mm -hmm. and i feel like whenever we get to a moment where it's a black in cinema situation uh -huh. these black people are always written by non-black writers so a lot of the time mm -hmm. the reason that they are there is because of their blackness right you know how many scripts i've read where character descriptions just is black that's it lauren black 23 <laughs> and it's just like but then all these white people have all these other really, you know, thought out one sentence descriptive that really give you an idea of who this person could be. But then when you need a black character, it is only because of their blackness that they need to be written, right? And I feel like in this instance, and I still know what you did, when they decided, whoever the they is behind the production team of this movie, decided to make Carla a black person, right? Now you have to weigh the pros and cons of who do we partner her with? Because in the original, it was two couples. So obviously, in the sequel, mm -hmm. it will be two more couples. Mm -hmm. But do we put Carla with a white person? Well, no, because I don't know, maybe the thought is, no, that's not a thing. Or maybe the thought is, no, because I don't want to write about the intricacies of being in an interracial relationship. I doubt somebody mm -hmm. thought to write that thought. But obviously, we just throw her with a black man. Right. But they gave that black man absolutely no depth, and it didn't right. help. And that's what bothered me, girl. The situation, because 
then when we see other black characters or or like the Jack Black situation where someone is supposed to be of color, or seem like a parody, yeah, it's even more evident that this black man has no depth, right? Like you just mm-hmm. he's just black and he's just gonna say all the he's just gonna say all the stereotypical things that you say if you're black because that's what men do, right? So, and then with the with the I think it's interesting that they use his blackness in a, in a different way because mm-hmm. they weren't, none of them, Brandy and Makai weren't Jamaican, right? Yeah. So now his Jamaican-ness ostracizes him as a different kind of black. Yeah, see? So Get that forces it. these two black people to side with the people that they came with because they are more in line with the people that they came with than that black man. Now right. he's sitting here talking about a religion that they know nothing about, that they've only heard from people like the people that they came with. Uh-huh. So obviously it must be evil. Uh-huh. It must be harmful, even though this black man over here was the only person looking out for you. The only one. Because can we also talk about how Carla fell through a greenhouse ceiling? Okay, listen. Her behind on all this glass, twist the best, ankle, best done all these other things. Watch homeboy stab Estes and the bartender, and for some reason got away because we don't know how. Oh no, I saw. So after Estes and the bartender died, um, what is the bartender's name? I, I I need to give her her name. Um, oh, girl, that was Jennifer Esposito. Yes, I have Nancy the bartender. With my yes. mouth wide open. What? Yes, Jennifer Esposito, girl, yes. Oh, she was so pretty in that film. Um, I, I just loved, like, the whole, like, her character was just very, like, I, I just love how she played her. But after Ben got those two, he went towards Carla, and she was, you know, backing away, and he, like, he, like, sliced and... The way it went was she like flew back into like that shelving thing. Oh, and, and it collapsed like on top and of broke it. through it and like fell down. It was motionless, but it never showed that um like that it made contact with her the hook or that it sliced her or that there was blood. It just went from it cut from her being motionless to um Ben's son and and Julie out in like the cemetery in the rain. Um, Which is crazy and, because. And see, that's the thing I don't understand because I feel like in every other death in this movie, Ben made he saw sure it. that the right, like, but he, he, he saw sat it. there and he made sure that everybody was dead. So I don't know why in this instance he just let her be. But okay, this is this is maybe maybe the writers like actually like really liked Carla and wanted her to live. I don't know, but can we all? But the, the whole point of me starting this game, of course, at the end. When Freddie Prince shows up with his little gun and blah blah blah, and then the boy, <laughs> she shoots him and he's in the grave in the mud and the gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. They walk out hand in hand, scarred, battered, traumatized again, and don't even think Carla was not thought about, about looked look around for. Carla just magically was limping towards them. Like, oh my god, Julie! Hey, Julie wasn't thinking about you. She said, Julie. And she's like, oh my God, Carla. And she's like, oh, I thought you were dead. Or, you know, I thought you died. And she's like, oh, you know me, made of steel. And I think that is like a testament to like 
I think something in your research, like the um, the enduring black woman, how throughout it all they persist and they persevere. And Carla, throughout everyone in the movie, I think had like because it's not it doesn't always happen, but in some horror movies there's always like this big elaborate like sequence or chase scene where one of the characters goes through it. The one character in in I know she's a summer that was Helen yeah where it went from like the the what was it the dry cleaner shop to um like I think what the, the alleyway to where like the tires and that part broke my heart because she was so close she yeah. was right she there. right there. she was right it always it breaks my heart because he just comes out and, but anyway Carla was like okay so it went from the lobby to across like the beams in like the the attic or whatever um she fell into the she fell into the bedroom through the bedroom over the balcony onto the roof of the greenhouse which is glass broke through the greenhouse which is my favorite part because like just that scene as that scene as a little kid like the tissue seeing the glass crack and oh, yeah, it's raining raining. and just not knowing what she's gonna do and then she falls through falls through lands on a table full of pots and is just toe up from the flow up gets up still gets to the door which is locked of course and then the girls come they try to get out and then here comes ben through the other door on his way to her and she has to get pulled through a window she actually gets stabbed in the foot on yeah, her way out the window. Yeah, he, that's he, why she's a flimping yeah he hooked her in the foot through the shoe um, but still she she persisted, she survived. And at the end of the movie, she lives, but then that's it. We don't see her no more. She just after, after that it just becomes the Julian Ray show. But that's what I'm saying, right? Because like historically, the enduring woman endures not of her own accord, right? And when yeah. we think about like final girls in these instances, like Julie. Julie and her stupid little friends brought all this trauma onto themselves. Mm-hmm. Period. It, you you was out there wilding with your car. You hit this man. Y'all decided to throw him in the ocean, the river, the sea, whatever right. body instead of water y'all been at. Instead of telling the truth, y'all decided to cover it up. And look how it got you. Look what And then the raft, right. Karma said, not today. Here's the hook-handed man. Have a nice one. And unfortunately, Black women who endure in these situations endure this trauma because of someone else. Carla, mm-hmm. it had to go through all of that crap because of Julie. And then we don't even get to see where her life was. The day exactly. we, don't, we don't get to see how she, what happened to her after. We don't see how she's coping with that trauma. All we see is Ray and Julie and living they have, a happy life. What did you? Their happy, heteronormative, white life in suburbia with a newly bought house like that Carla didn't even get like a proper ending she survived but how is she living afterwards why can't we catch up with Carla like if she could have been like maybe she would drop by for a visit I would have taken that I just wanted to see how is Miss Carla doing did her lips go away like what happened I don't know and we will never know and that's what I'm saying but that's what I'm saying, right? 
So once she, once Julie no longer needed her to support her trauma, oh, he, he was not a necessary character anymore. Goodbye. Carla was a placeholder for Freddie Prince Jr., right? Mm, I love this, how that, and then once Freddie came back, she said, okay, bye, Carla. Once Ray came back, she when she said when Ray came back and she said goodbye to Carla, that was the movie that was shown in the form of the movie not even giving Carla a send off, a proper one. So and now Carla has all this trauma. Her boyfriend is dead. She saw him die in front of her. She watched him die. She watched some other two people die. She almost died. She fell through a glass ceiling. She. We had a very stressful evening, ma'am. Right, and it's like we don't even get to see. So, I yeah. So I'm like, if we're gonna, if you're gonna have a supporting character like that survive, we should. She deserves, and we deserve to see what her life looks like after that ordeal. Because the sequel served to show us what is happening to Julie after the ordeal. That's the sequel. Like she's having nightmares in class. Uh, we saw this in Scream with Sydney when she went to college, and um, she's like, she's trying to move on, but she still has trauma because how she reacts when she realizes it's happening again. Like, why? Why don't we ever see that for? I don't know, black women more, especially like survivors. Like, why don't I don't know? Like, I would. I don't know. I'm just because she survived by. But, uh, <laughs> I honestly don't believe that it was intentional. I just think it was easier to write that way, so they just they just kept it going, right? And maybe so, they knew that she was going to be, especially when it, uh, when Brandy got casted. Maybe they sh- knew she was going to be a fan favorite because remember, Brandy was she like, was so popular at the top, like top of the world, like she said on the album, um, like she was up there. So of course she'd be a fan favorite for. Um, a lot of people, especially the black community. So having her survive was like a no brainer, but also like not actually getting to show her living after that ordeal. I just feel like that. Right, was... because all that people were going to talk about was that she survived the game. And that's well, interesting. I never thought survive, about that. Surviving is not enough for me at this point. Surviving is never been. I need to like. Thank you. You're right. Thank you for making that distinction. You're absolutely right. Surviving is not, it was never enough because surviving is not the same thing as living. This is what, this is what I mean when I say I'm sick of like the black trauma movies and visuals. I want to see black people just being, I love to see black people just living. But honestly, honestly, despite their circumstances. But honestly, I wouldn't hate and maybe I should just stop fucking around and write it. I wouldn't hate a a slasher movie with an all-black cast where only one person survives until the end. I wouldn't be mad at that. That's at right. all. Because I feel like, right, one, it would be done very differently as other groups of black people. Because mm. you're not just, you know, whatever. But I I I want to know what it would be like to write a white character only because they are white. You know what I mean? Like, Ooh, what would that ex- right? And then what would that character contribute? 
to the situation. You know what I mean? Because it's like, why? Like, right. I don't know. I just wonder what that experience would be writing it. But then also it would be very different because I'm doing it purposefully, right? Or like, because I feel like even though it's yeah. done, it's not done maliciously. I just think it's done because that's what it's done. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. I no, I hear you. And so and that and that makes me feel and like why like what happens when it is done with intention versus it's done just because it's done. Just right. because it's being done. So yeah, I agree. But I would say yeah, like maybe do like a spec script or uh like just just dive in, like word vomit. Um, maybe we can collab because I, I need an all-black horror cast that, like... Because you know what? Honestly, like, I want to go to Maine because I just want to go to Maine. I feel like that's a cute to live my uh, Jessica B. Fletcher fantasy for, like, a weekend. Uh, get an Airbnb. That's what I'm saying. Eat the lobster, it'd be great. But oh that is the idea, right? So, like, imagine a group of kids that got roped into going to, like, Maine or somewhere like that because of, like, of a affinity kind of in that way and then mm-hmm. what's happening when they go. Because these other instances, I feel like, are not super realistic for my friend group. Like, if I wanted to go camping, I don't know a lot of people. <laughs> I hear you. Like, I'm from Colorado. Like, I'm from Colorado, but... And when I got to college, that was like really the first time where the like the Colorado like nature asset, like the call I call it like the Colorado side of Colorado came out. And I'm like, oh, people hike, people go camping, people uh, go to the mountains. Uh, I'd never do that stuff. What? So no, I hear you. Like it's like I don't know, branch out and see what's happening, what it's like, and like what that situation looked like for other people thrown into it. Um, but yeah, I just, yeah, I just, I really wish we could have seen, yeah, Carla deserved better. And I really wish we could know what she's up to now. Like what happened to her after? Uh, did she, did she get counseling? Did she ask someone to talk to you? Um, how did she cope? Um, like who, how did that change her? Like, how did that kind of trauma, what did that do to her? Because we saw, like, Julie moved on. Like, well, sort of, because, you know, he ended up being out of bed, which I don't understand how he got shot that many times. Like, he's not 50 Cent. I don't know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know how that happened, but, yeah, I want to just see what happened. I want to see what happened to Carla. But um, I think that wraps up um, Scary Crit. The very um, first episode. Very first episode. Oh my god, this has been like um, I don't does it? Yeah, I'm gonna say like a labor of love. It's like a passion project. We're just so excited to do, excited to do this. Um, um, I know things sound a little wonky right now. They will get better over time. This is just our first foray into this, but um, I wanted to give um, a shout out to um, Rico Frederick. Who Rico. Who designed our logo? Um, Rico uh, was is my friend from uh, the Pratt MFA Creative Writing Program. He is also um, a graphic artist, and um, like this is like one of the joys of having like a network of creatives. You have people who you can kind of like hit up and call, like um, just see like who you can collaborate with, or see if you can um, like if you need something, see. Um, if they will be able to um, 
provide that um, for you. And of course, um, always like compensate your artists. Like don't shortchange them just because you're your, they're your friends. Like pay them what they're your worth. Your friends would be the people you should pay always. Exactly. <laughs> people especially. you don't know or it's people you should be like, you got a discount because I don't know. <laughs> you but know especially, them. Yeah, but especially during the time of Corona where a, a penny is like not even promised at this point, especially because like literally there is a coin shortage. I still can't believe that. Um, but thank you so much, Rico, for the logo design. We love it so much. Maybe it's one dope. day, maybe one day we can have t-shirt designs on the line. We'll have to see, we'll have to see. But I just want to say uh, thank you, Rico, for uh, the logo. Um, hit him up um, for your graphic needs, and then so, um, some other housekeeping. Um, we have Twitter. And Instagram for the pod. It's yeah, at Harry yeah. Crit Pod. Um, oh. Follow us for all of your scary, scary memes. Like <laughs> all comments. scary memes. Um, um, if, you, if you have any um, questions, comments, or concerns, I guess you guys can post our, it there. And then the pod release twice a month, every other week, like when you get paid, but instead of getting money, you can our beautiful opinions so (laughs) beautiful voices (laughs) every other wednesday so you get us today and then then not next week but the week after so that also gives you an opportunity if you have something you want us to talk about you have an opinion of what we said if you don't agree with the opinion shoot us a dm leave us a comment we will address it um and yeah for all of that or in, or in the um, personal uh, business matters, um, you may hit the inbox at uh, scarycritpodcast um, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we'll stay on top of that. And then also, I just want to give a shout out to um, uh, DJ Hydeheart on YouTube for um, providing us with our theme song um, that you hear. Uh, it is a uh, chopped and screwed um, version of Tira Wax Mumbo Jumbo. Um, I just love the mood of it because it was creepy um, and like it kind of set the tone. It was vibey and it was just also overwhelmingly, like undeniably black. And that's like the mood of our show. So the check. Mood is always black as hell. Yeah, so you don't check. have to be black to listen for the mood. Right. So check out uh, DJ Hyheart on um, YouTube. Um, he does a lot of um, Chubbins Crew mixes of K-pop music, I found. So if you are into that, because Chopped and Screwed music, one of my favorite things I like about that genre is it, it like, it, it like elevates or amplifies or like completely changes the song that it's um, like chopping and screwing. I just, I love that genre. Like I'm not from Houston, where like that's where it originates from but i i love chopping screw music so check dj hide heart out um and thank you again for finding us with the theme song and um i guess we will see you all um in the coming weeks and uh just keep an eye out on the social media pages um and just thank you so much for listening we'll see how this goes we're um we're optimistic but we're also very humble we're just happy to share passions with the folk. <laughs> right. And it's, I don't know, like, I, like you said, I'm excited, we're excited. It's great. It's great. We're great. Nice.
Peace. <laughs> <laughs>